Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Revolt Black News, presented by State Farm. This week in Revolt Black News, the blocks are hot because young black folks are being taken too often and too soon. See, whether you think we're coming out of this pandemic or not, what's for damn sure is that Atlanta and the DMV have been in an epidemic of gun violence for a minute. Now, call it a gundemic if you want, but one thing we're gonna do here is always call a spade a spade. So we're gonna look at the rising crime in our inner cities, dissect the issues, and say, how do we ensure a better, safer future for our black children? Because what we know for sure is it can't go on like this. We won't stand for it. We won't let it happen any longer. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now today, we're gonna take a look at crime around some of our biggest inner cities, and we're gonna start things off in the A. So helping get things started, Atlanta Councilman and mayoral candidate, Antonio Brown. Thanks for joining us again, Antonio. Absolutely, Ebony, thanks for having me. All right, now I don't have to tell you this, you know the Atlanta homicide rate has risen by about 60% in just 2021, Antonio. And that's more deaths than it has seen in the last two decades. I wanna be clear about that. What do you attribute such a swift rise in crime and homicide to? Well, you know, I, I think it's it's a it's a multiple of things. Uh, one, you know, we have communities that have lived in generational poverty in this city for decades, and until we begin to address the root cause of generational poverty, I don't believe we're ever going to cure the cycle of crime. The other issue is is that you have um, our police force in the city that has been operating in, in a low morale and. You've seen the blue flu come and go in the city and officers leave the police force. I think the overall culture and policing, um, it's just been really problematic um, in the city. And, and, and then we had the social justice movement that transpired. And I think collectively together, you see what folks are identifying as a rising crime. But the reality is what is happening is crime is spilling over into communities that have never really seen it before. That's interesting. Um, what do you attribute that to? I guess those kind of broadening of boundaries in the worst way. Why do you think we're seeing that trickle into new, new areas and new spaces? Well, when you congregate poverty and, and specifically mm -hmm. black and brown poor people and you, and you put them mm -hmm. in, in, in these low income areas and you take away all of their resources and opportunities and mm -hmm. access healthcare and jobs and mm. just being mm -hmm. able to survive in this city, they resort to going into survival mode like anybody else mm. would. You know, I was debating and, and I told folks, I said, listen, if I was left with the choice to have to commit a crime to sustain my family and make sure we don't become homeless or my kids have food on the table, what do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be out here robbing and stealing too. Mm. 
Okay, that, that, I see those dots. And we're going to get to, I know, some of your plans and, and action points as to how to undermine that correlation in a minute. But first, I want to ask you, Antonio, there are some, I guess, rumors really at this point and some false reports talking about a potential serial killer in the area of Atlanta right now. Um, given that correlated with what we talked about, at least a narrative of an uptick in crime, do you think Atlanta residents in general, including specifically black Atlanta residents, do you think they feel safe? I don't think anyone feels safe in this city. And, and, it, and it's not even safety in the aspect of crime in the city. I think mm. folks just don't feel safe because folks don't believe that, they don't know how they're gonna get till tomorrow. And it's not a matter mm. of, of the fact that people kind of portraying this as you know an issue of rising crime, why folks are, no. You have folks that are just you know one step from being homeless that don't feel safe that don't feel secure in their homes. So everything is not about crime, which is driving uh, the feeling of feeling unsafe in Atlanta. So I hear you saying, Antonio, and I receive it, which is really that this is all systemic, it's connected, it's generational. And I think I hear some subtext as to perhaps the pandemic, you know, when white, um, when America gets the cold, black folks get the flu, it sounds like Atlanta might have pneumonia right now. Uh, because all of these things have really been exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, is that something that you agree with? Do you think the pandemic's made things that were bad even worse? 1,000%, but guess what? I also believe that they were necessary. What we see transpiring and which was really conducive of the pandemic is what was eventually gonna happen anyway. The only thing it did was propel it forward a lot faster than what we were as a mm. city prepared and the response has been reactive and it's been oh my god crime is now spilling over into other communities that have never seen it before and we need to do something about it well no crime has been here you know and mm -hmm. and we failed to address it and now the pandemic is forcing us to address it all right antonio now as we've reported here before on revolt black news you are uh, running for mayor this term in the city of Atlanta. Tell us a little bit about your platform, uh, agenda items, and some action items that you intend to implement if indeed elected mayor of Atlanta. Yeah, so I, I talk a lot about my mission being one that would create a socioeconomic shift in the economic class system in Atlanta. So basically creating an inclusive and thriving ecosystem where no Atlantan is left behind. So that means we need to take those that are living in poverty, we need to provide them jobs, career trades, provide them wraparound services and support so we can help move them upwardly towards the working middle class. We need to take the working middle class and we need to provide them access to capital so that they can start small businesses if they choose to, if they wanna be an entrepreneur. So a part of creating this inclusive and thriving ecosystem is that we've also got to take those that are in the working middle class that are struggling, that are living paycheck to paycheck, but have aspirations of being an entrepreneur and creating a small business. We need to provide them access to capital so that they can build a business and be able to hire from within the community. Because the reality is our small businesses are the heart of our economy. And if we can provide them the resources to grow and expand in the city, then we create a system, an ecosystem where everybody thrives and no one's ever left behind. 
All right, Antonio, um, we're talking a lot and very important things about kind of how local government and resources can be helpful to uh, the ecosystem you speak about. But I know as a councilman, you work closely uh, with your constituents hands on. What are some kind of intra-communal resources that people can avail themselves to uh, right now? Yeah, so um, when I first came on to council, I created a community loan fund for credit disadvantaged small businesses that's housed at Invest Atlanta. You know, residents don't have to go anywhere. If you're a small business owner mm. and you want to take advantage of these resources, you can apply online. We also have our Atlanta Housing Authority, which helps with uh, a lot of our housing voucher programs. Um, you know, that's a great resource. Partners for Home for our unsheltered population. There's a ton of resources in the communities um, that, that residents have access to. But one of the things uh, you said, Ebony, that, that really mm -hmm. stuck out for me is that we have to get to a point and where we have to empower ourselves and not wait for someone to come and save us. We have to be in a position where we can save ourselves. We indeed are our best and most natural resource. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, Councilman Brown, we appreciate you so much here at Revolt. You know that. Uh, and thank you for helping us get a better sense as to what's going on on the ground in the city of Atlanta. We hope you're back soon. All right, y'all, stay with us because we've got a lot more Revolt Black news coming up after the break. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are this week's headlines. We're gonna start with the developing story into Governor Andrew Cuomo. New York Attorney General Letitia James has done an investigation into the governor and it's resulted in a 165 page report concluding that Andrew Cuomo indeed engaged in unwelcomed and non-consensual touching, made comments of a suggestive sexual nature and created a hostile work environment for women. Tish James spoke about the report. Let's take a look. These interviews and pieces of evidence reveal a deeply disturbing yet clear picture. Governor Cuomo sexually harassed current and former state. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba employees in violation of both federal and state laws. The independence investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, hugging, and by making inappropriate comments. And even longtime friend of the governor, President Joe Biden, has said that he thinks Cuomo should resign now. Governor Cuomo, however, says that he denies the reports and he has no plans to resign. Both lawmakers in the state assembly holding emergency meetings to determine whether to impeach the governor. We will, of course, stay all over it, y'all, and keep you up to date with the latest developments. And after Tuesday's violent lockdown at the Pentagon, one officer has reportedly died from being stabbed. And one suspect has died by gunshot from law enforcement. Let's take a look. The incident is, is over, the scene is secure, and most importantly, there's no continuing threat to our community. The FBI is on scene, 
leading the investigation. And again, the Pentagon and the Pentagon Reservation are safe and secure. I want to thank our allied first responding agencies who came not just to assist us, but to help protect and serve the community. And with last weekend's expired moratorium on residential evictions, President Biden has announced a targeted eviction moratorium that will ban evictions in counties with high rates of COVID-19 transmission. Now, this all comes on the heels of a very complicated U.S. Supreme Court ruling back in June that required legislative approval. Now, President Biden was hesitant at first to proceed because of how this could all fare out in the courts. But the president ended up saying this, at a minimum, by the time it gets litigated, it will probably give some additional time while we're getting that $45 billion out to people who are in fact behind in the rent and don't have the money. So special shout out to those in Washington for applying some much needed pressure. We want to especially honor Congresswoman Cori Bush, who did just that. She actually slept outside the Capitol for up to five nights to protest the evictions. The moratorium will go through October 3rd. Now, in COVID updates, the Delta variant and high surges in cases have prompted a mandatory mask mandate in the Bay Area surrounding counties and the city of Berkeley. Health officials say that the mandate applies to everyone, vaccinated or not. Over to New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced that New York City will become the first American city to require proof of at least one dose of the vaccine for most indoor activities, such as dining, gyms, and performances. He coins it this, keys to NYC pass. Mayor de Blasio said this, the key to NYC, when you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone is vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things available in New York City. This is a miraculous place, literally full of wonders. And if you are vaccinated, all that is going to open up to you, you have the key, you can open the door. The keys to NYC pass will begin on August 16th. And in the special election in Ohio's 11th congressional district, the primary took place on Tuesday. Chantel Brown, the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party chair and county councilwoman won the Democratic primary. Brown defeated Nina Turner. Turner is a former Ohio state senator and former co-chair of Bernie Sanders 2020 presidential campaign. Now, while many saw Nina as the front runner, in the weeks approaching the election, Brown received many heavy-hitting endorsements, including the likes of Congressman Jim Clyburn, current chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, Joy Beatty, and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. We here at Revolt Black News congratulate Nina Turner on what was a valiant effort, and she was recently here on this show. We also want to wish Chantel Brown all the success in the world as she heads to Washington. Congratulations to the new Congresswoman. And also in Washington, the U.S. Senate unanimously passed Resolution 331 designating August 11th as Hip Hop Celebration Day and November 2021 as Hip Hop History Month. Now, the bill aims to commemorate the back to school jams, which DJ Cool Herc pioneered in the Bronx in the early 70s and birthed so much of hip hop culture's evolution. And over to Olympic news. The International Olympic Committee has suspended their investigation into USA shot putter Raven Saunders' podium protest, where she held an X over her head to raise awareness for oppressed people. Now, the International Olympic Committee halted the investigation after Saunders announced the recent passing of her mother. Of course, here at Revolt, we want to offer our deepest condolences to Saunders and her family during this incredibly difficult time. 
In additional Olympic news, Simone Biles made a triumphant return to the global stage, competing on the balance beam competition where she took home the bronze. Let's look. Big combination right here. Three elements in a row. Perfect. Thus far, it's been fabulous. <laughs> and at home. Over now to the NBA. 18-year veteran and free agent Carmelo Anthony. He signed with the Los Angeles Lakers for a one-year deal. Now, the blockbuster move is going to reunite Carmelo with longtime friend LeBron James. And the two have actually never played together on an NBA team. Also joining the Lakers is the recent hometown acquisition, Russell Westbrook. Congrats to the 10-time All-Star Carmelo Anthony and, of course, to the Lakers organization. Lastly, happy birthday, President Barack Obama. Yesterday, the former president turned 60 years young. And tomorrow, his family is hosting an outdoor celebration at Martha's Vineyard where all guests are asked to be vaccinated. And again, of course, we wish Mr. President the very happiest of birthdays and many more. All right, y'all, that's it for this week's headlines. But stick around. We've got much more Revolt Black news on the way after this break. back to Revolt Black News. I am Rodney Rakai. Today we are getting ready to have an important conversation about a place that is very near and dear to my heart. Listen, there has been a major uptick in violence in the DMV area. That's DC, Maryland, and Virginia. If you don't know, it's flat out. It's getting spooky. Now, as someone who spent ample time there living and working, it both saddens and concerns me. So right now, I'm joined by founder of Black Women Views Media and regular contributor on Roland Martin's Unfiltered, Reese Colbert. Reese, what's going on, Black woman? I'm good, Rodney. How are you? I am amazing. Is your spirit doing well? I know we're living in some interesting times right now. Yes, we are, but I'm doing well surviving COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much like yourself, I lived in D.C. for five years. Um, what an amazing, amazing time that I had when I lived there. Um, when I was there, it felt somewhat like a safe haven for Black people. I understand the violence as of late is going crazy. So from your lens, how safe does the community feel? Well, it definitely feels different. Now, is it different enough to deter me or the average person from doing the sorts of things that we do all the time? Probably not. But when you hear a story like the shooting that recently occurred outside of the Washington National Stadium, it's a little jarring. It's a little unnerving. I mean, I go to a restaurant there every single week. I was just at a restaurant there days earlier. So there is a little bit of a sense of what the hell is going on. I'll be honest. Now, if you look at how black people feel as a whole, I think it depends on what part of the city you're from. I mean, people in Southeast are probably looking at all of the uproar about the increase in gun violence and the increase in violence in the city and saying, oh, now you care. You know, there's a sense of now that it's hitting areas like Northwest or Navy Yard, that it's more, there's more attention to it, even though certain things like shootings and gun violence are much more common in Southeast DC. And the threshold from when it garners the kind of outrage and the kind of all hands on deck approach is much higher. Like a six-year-old Nia Courtney being gunned down 
where there were five other victims, shooting victims, they weren't, you know, murdered, but they were also shot in that particular drive-by shooting. And it just doesn't necessarily garner the same attention. So I think that, you know, DC Black residents are looking at the police and looking at the mayor for solutions, but there's also a sense of there's only as much concern when it's hitting the more gentrified and the more white areas of DC. Yeah, and that's something that I wanted to ask you about because um, people feel that when gentrification takes place, that violence is automatically going to drop and that mm -hmm. the inclusion of white people into a place that was once majority majority black means that uh, it's automatically safer, which obviously is not the case. So what is gentrification looking like in D.C. right now? Because it kind of is a farce that um, the injection of, of money into communities uh, automatically makes it safer. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. I'll just say that. Well, I think you have to look at safety from a lens of not just violence, but in quality of life. I mean, do black people feel safer when there are more police officers? Do black people feel more safely when there are more Karens roaming the street willing to weaponize the police against them? Absolutely yeah. not. And so safety is wide ranging and broader for the black community. Uh, speaking of some of those statistics, so uh, the, the, the crime rate in D.C. from 20 to 2021 has gone up, uh, specifically around homicides and robberies, though I will give the city credit. Uh, sexual abuse is down, uh, crime with, with uh, deadly weapons is down as well. Um, but what do you think is at the root of this crime wave and this crime surge? Well, we are in the middle of a pandemic. It's a pandemic that has disrupted our lives in terms of the economy. It's disrupted people's housing security. It's disrupted people's mental health. And so there are a lot of, you know, longstanding root causes to the crime. But there's also a sense of cabin fever. People are starting to get out. There's more conflict. But there's also a sense of desperation for some people. I mean, we just saw that the Biden-Harris administration extended in most places, the eviction moratorium. There are a lot of people who are facing very dire situations if that moratorium expires. There are resources within the city to try to help for that. But there are people that are in situations that feel like they don't have anywhere to turn. So I think that there's a, there are a lot of layers to it. And we have to also look behind beyond the statistics because even though there's an increase of, let's say, 5% in homicides, that's 114 homicides to date in D.C. These are people, like I said earlier, six-year-old Nia Courtney. There's the people like the father of two twins, two sets of twin boys that was recently killed. So there are there are there are there are families behind these victims that are grieving. And we also have to talk about the increase in shootings. You know, that's something that is unnerving as well. So there are a lot of facets to to what has contributed to the problem. But we also have to acknowledge that it's not a uniformly spread crime wave. So getting back to the violence in the city of D.C., a lot of times we wait on elected officials to come and save us, um, but the communities have an ability you know, to, to make an impact and a change and to stabilize themselves as well. The people uh, ultimately have power. What are some things that local D.C. residents can do to help fight the violence that is going on in the city? And then, you know, how role, how big of a role do you think uh, community members play in solving these issues? 
think DC residents are already doing that. I think they're very much engaged in trying to find the solutions. I think there's a spectrum of what people feel like the solutions are. Some people do want more policing. Some people don't want more policing. And so I think that going back to the violence interruption program, what that really is, is these are community-based organizations. So that means that people in the community are just as much uh, involved in the solution. It's not a policing solution. And so I think that that is one of the main ways that residents can get involved in terms of interrupting violence, in terms of men mentorship of people that are high risk in their community in terms of identifying those who are actually perpetrating these crimes. I mean, if you look at what happened with Nia Courtney, her assailants were not apprehended on the spot. They had to be turned in. And so when you see crime happening, you have to report it. I know we have a no snitch mentality. I know that we don't like calling the police on our brothers and sisters because it could result in death, you know? And so you feel like, well, is it that serious to call the police in this situation? So there has to be some sort of balance. But yes, to your point, I think we do have a role to play in, you know, in tackling these issues. But I do think that it's important to keep our elected officials accountable, stay engaged with their community organizations. That's where the solution is going to lie on our level. Um, but the government absolutely has a role to play. There has to be resources that are put in these communities and there has to be accountability for the police officers that are patrolling these communities. Again, making sure that their role is not to terrorize and, and to harass and, and to do things that are going to degrade the quality of life in the name or under the pretext of preventing crime. Reese, thank you for joining us, Black woman, and speaking so candidly about our people and everything that is going on in D.C. I know it's a lot. Looks like you got a lot of fight in you, and I'm sure the people of D.C. are appreciating your energy in the city. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot say it enough. Right now, we're going to keep the energy going because Revolt CEO Dottavio Samuels recently spoke at the fifth annual Born to Win Mentoring Conference in Chicago, hosted by Champs Male Mentoring Program. It was a very powerful moment. Let's take a look. The Champs Male Mentoring Program stands for culturally helping and making positive success. My name is Vondell Singleton, and I am the founder of the Champs Male Mentoring Program. And my job is to bring all of the energy and direction and purpose back into our community where we write in our own story. My name is Jacob Morgan. I'm the Director of Strategic Partnerships for Champs Male Mentoring. The reason why we do this is because mentoring is a very huge void in the city of Chicago. Uh, I can make an argument that it's a huge void across the country um, for young men of color. Um, the evidence has been clear uh, for quite some time that is almost kind of common knowledge uh, that men of color, are, young men of color, um, are suffering through systemic issues. So what we want to do is not preach to young kids, but get active with them, walk hand in hand with them, and mentor them through their varying issues, um, and then kind of celebrate their victories. Look, I'm so excited to be here. It's the summertime. We know what the summer in Chicago was like. Any opportunity to make a meaningful impact in this place felt like the right place for us to be. And so my dream and my vision for Chicago is my dream and my vision for the black diaspora, which is that we would form and unite as one. We would collaborate and move as one. We would start to dig and mine and tell our stories. Let's tell the stories of the Zulu tribe, bad, you know, bad mamma jammas. Let's tell our stories of kings and queens so that we can remember who we are all for one purpose, social economic justice. 
on my mom's side, my entire family is from Chicago. And so I know what it's like to grow up on these streets. I know what these young kids are up against. I know it's not always easy and I know they need love. I'm at the point in time where I only wanna work with people who are making a difference. I only wanna work with people who are trying to move the needle. And in my first interaction with Vondell, I could see his heart, I could see his transparency, I could see what he wanted to do for the community. My name is Bree Harmon, and I'm here to bring you all things black and excellent on this week's Black Excellence Entertainment Headlines. Joining me today is television personality Shamia Morton. Miss Shamia Morton, beautiful, how are you today? Hi, Bree. I'm doing well. I'm feeling fabulous, girl. I had to rock my little all black with bling because everything black is just blinking and it's excellent, and I'm feeling good. Our people are just popping, you popping. Are you looking cool? Well, I was just about you? to say, you, you shining, you glistening over there. I love this red lip, honey. <laughs> Talk about the melanin, you know, we just, we can do it. We can do red, you know? Yeah. Well, first off, let's start with multi-talented singer Rihanna has just crossed a major milestone. The Fenty brand owner is now officially a billionaire. Now, Forbes estimates Rihanna's net worth at $1.7 billion, making her the wealthiest female musician in the world. Listen, all I can say right now is congrats, Rihanna. But I'm sad because I don't know if she's going to put out any more music now that she's making all this money with Fenty. I'm so excited for Rihanna, you know, so young and successful, starting out as an artist and now becoming one of the most successful, celebrated musicians in our time. That is amazing. 1.7 billion. She's a billionaire. Like, big ups to her. I don't care if she doesn't make another album. Like, I'm happy with purchasing my Fenty products because, uh, of course, I'm rocking some of that today. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, not only the products, girl, but the lingerie and everything else. I love me a good set. I'm telling you. <laughs> and on the heels of Black Women's Equal Pay Day, actress Angela Bassett has linked a history-making deal. Bassett is now the highest paid actress of color on TV, signing a deal earning her upwards of $450,000 an episode for hit series 911. The star not only has a role on the show, but she also serves as executive producer of 911 and it's spinoff 911 Lone Star. Big congrats, Angela Bassett. Now, I'm not trying to age myself, but I am a huge Angela Bassett fan. She got a Golden Globe boy back in like 94 for her. Uh, I think she got with Best Actress in What's Love Got to Do With It. That's still one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, she's so decorated. She's also gotten what, a SAG Award, a Golden Globe, a at least three NAACP awards. So I'm excited for her. I think she's definitely worth the 450000 per episode, and I'll definitely be tuned in. Now, Insecure showrunner Princess Penny has inked a multi-year overall deal with Disney. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Onyx Collective. 
Penny is set to write, produce, and direct projects for himself as well as any others he should choose in the multi-figure deal. Penny's company, A Penny for Your Thoughts, will develop and produce projects for all Disney platforms, including Hulu. Shamia, what you think of this one? Amazing, right? That's big because, you know, I'm a mother of a two and a half year old and we are all about Disney, anything Disney. Um, so I'm excited to see what he'll do there. He has written and, and produced so many things from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, The Hustle, Scrubs, and everything that he touches is like amazing. So I know he's going to mm -hmm. do some wonderful things. Yes, I'm so excited. And I got a one and a two-year-old, too. So, look, we all on Disney Plus all the time. <laughs> and coming on the heels of its fourth season finale this past Sunday, Showtime has announced that the hit show, The Shy, has been renewed for a fifth, fifth, fifth season. Congrats to the cast. Congrats to executive producer, creator, Lena Waithe. And literally, are you excited? Because I know I can't wait. I am so excited. I've been locked in since the first episode ever came out. And every single season, it just gets better. The cast gets stronger. So I'm excited. How you feeling? Go, Lena. Go, Lena. <laughs> Go. I'm excited for her because, well, you know, I'm sure she's lit because she's a Taurus. She shares the same birthday as my girl Candy Burris, Tucker, who's also on the show, The Shy. So I love the show. I love Lena. I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm already like, okay, is it on yet? Like, when are y'all going to start filming it? Like, come on, Candy, mm -hmm. tell me, girl. When mm -hmm. Now, Academy Award winner Octavia Spencer is set to be honored with the 2021 James Seamus Alley Award at the LGBTQ Film Festival Outfest. Spencer will receive the award closing night of the festival, and the actress released a statement saying she is proud to bring LGBTQIA plus stories to audiences all over. Now, does Octavia Spencer get enough flowers, Shamia? What do you think? I don't know if she get enough flowers, but she damn sure do get enough awards. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. She is amazing, and I love that she is, you know, bringing more awareness and inclusivity. And I think it's amazing. I'm, I'm proud of her, and I can't wait to see what she has in store for us. Me too. And Family Matters actor Jaleel White will be back on our TV screen, but in a different way. He ain't gonna have the glasses and the suspensers, what we're used to seeing him. But he'll be back on our screens with his new podcast, Ever After with Jaleel White. It has been picked up for a 30-minute TV pilot, Ever After, will focus on the actor's early days in the industry and what life was like after Urkel. Now, are we looking forward to seeing Jaleel on our screens again not as hurtful this time of course i'm excited about you know jaleel white returning i think he's amazing he's a great actor and the fact that he had everybody on family matters like erica oh you so geeky but then he turned it off and had all teenage girls like oh jaleel yeah. white it was like night and day and so you know I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see what he does. And lastly, over to music. Legendary rapper Nas is set to drop his album, King's Disease 2, tomorrow. And this will be the rapper's 13th studio album. And it's set to feature Lauryn Hill, Eminem, and more. Just with those two names right there, I know it's about to be fire. Now, Nas executive produced King's Disease 2 alongside Hit Boy. Are we looking forward to the album? Because like I said, all you got to tell me is Lauryn Hill, Eminem. And I'm like, hmm. I'm ready. Absolutely. You know, Nas has been in the game so long. And like you said, this is his 13th album. He's produced some amazing 
albums. They've gone platinum. Like he is very, very talented. And I mean, of course, Lauren Hill is one of my favorite artists of all time. So I'm excited to see what they do. Um, I would like to know what the meaning of the album, like title is, like why King's yeah. Disease. I'm yeah. curious to know, but I am looking forward to it. So thank you so much, Shamir, for joining me. We will have to do this again next time. All right. So up next, Rochelle Ritchie has a special innovation and technology conversation with innovator and entrepreneur Freddie Figures. More Revolt Black News after this. everybody it's Rochelle Ritchie and we're bringing you a very special conversation regarding innovation and technology because black entrepreneurs in the field of STEM that's science technology engineering and medicine are truly at the forefront of these endeavors in every single way so joining me is a man who became one of the youngest black Americans to own and operate an independent US based telecommunications company he's an inventor he's a software engineer he's a telecom entrepreneur he's a philanthropist he is Freddie Figures. Well, Freddie, I'm so excited to have you here on Revolt Black News to have this really important conversation. And I took some time to read about you, and I'm truly grateful, and I really think you have a lot to share uh, with our audience because your story is really that started from the bottom, now we're here uh, sort of narrative. And so just tell us a little bit about your journey into uh, the technological field, and really how your, your father also inspired you. Okay, definitely. Well, Rochelle, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, my father was a maintenance worker at Florida State University. So he used to bring home little little knickknacks that, you know, soldering gun. So I would actually go around the house taking away uh, parts from alarm clocks, radios. Um, at the age of nine, my father purchased me a 1989 non-working Macintosh computer um, from Goodwill. So when I took this computer apart one time, I noticed that the capacitor was actually leaking. So I took a part out of a radio, put it inside that computer, which is the capacitor, and finally got that computer working. You know, you have many impressive businesses, and we're going to touch on a lot of them during this, this conversation. One of those um, that is part of your portfolio is the Figures Communications Corporation. This is a, a telecom company. It services uh, more than 3 million uh, subscribers. And many would say, how in the heck did you get into the telecom space? I mean, that seems like a very difficult uh, space to get into, so, but you did it. So how's it going? Right. And what else are you and your team, what are you and your team doing to try to keep up with the competition? Absolutely. So how we work into the telecom space was very simple. Um, I come from a very rural area. So when you think about telecommunications in areas across the country right now, there's still parts in Nevada uh, Montana, Wisconsin, that still have access to 2G and 3G. So the area that I came from, one of the bigger carriers such as AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, T-Mobile, was not interested in coming into a population less than 10,000 and you know building out their infrastructure that will cost millions of dollars because the return on investment wasn't there. So we petitioned the FCC, um, oh gosh, over 300 times to acquire a WiMAX LTE radio frequency, which means that it's a long-term evolution. So we started putting up uh, different access points around the city in very rural area countryside, such as windmills, barns, 
in any high elevation point that was 150 feet and provided internet services. And with that internet services, we started using cellular packets on top of that with voice. So which made, you know, VOIP services and we expanded out from there. You know, that's a really important project to take on, especially when you think about sort of the digital divide uh, that still exists in a lot of communities across the country. So I was very impressed. I, I did, I'll admit I, I had not heard about this, but it seems like something that would be very beneficial at a low cost uh, for many people in our community. Absolutely. So I described how we got started in the YMAX LTE space to branch off into the telecom um, um, industry. Um, but when you think about a telecommunications company, uh, we're a little bit different. So Figures Communication is an American telecommunications company that provides cell phone service, mobile broadband services, and international calling services. Not only do we provide the service, but we manufacture our own devices as well, such as cell phone, earbuds, speakers, smart television, and other circuit boards. Um, some of our clients right now are some of the largest healthcare facilities in America. Um, some of them are private aviation travel. So when you think about just the Verizons and the AT&T of the world, we are the only minority-owned telecommunications company in America. Now, I want to move from the technological space into health. I mean, like I said, you've done it. You're literally doing it all. Um, you and I both know uh, about the health disparities in the Black community. And I think that COVID, right. uh, the COVID pandemic has really elevated that fact. But one of the health issues that we in the black community really face is diabetes. And we know that according to the Centers for Disease Control, that 11.5% of black people are diagnosed with diabetes compared to less than 8% of white people. And we are twice as likely um, to die. But your, uh, your business, uh, Fig Health, is actually working to address this issue. I mean, your motto is people over profit. Your, your mission is to lead the charge against this, uh, against diabetes. Tell us exactly how your products work uh, to do that in this fight. Absolutely. So when you think about someone with diabetes, you think about a standard glucometer that's on the market. As soon as you check your blood sugar, you have to write it down. That's a thing of the past. It takes 167 seconds to go into a diabetic coma. Our glucometer uh, is very innovative, multiple patents on it. As soon as you check your blood sugar, it instantly shares the results to your cell phone, shares it with your closest relative, shares it with your provider, shares it with your health plan and the case manager. So if your blood sugar is out of range or even um, you know abnormally low, it would send an Amber Alert notification out to everyone that's on your parameter to alert them of your bl blood sugar levels. You seem like a man that is constantly thinking and constantly working on something new. Uh, what are you and your team working on that we could, you know, look forward to in the future? But this right here is an assertable chipset that we're building that monitors the fluid around people's hearts. So some people that have large hearts or, you know, water around the hearts or uh, mm -hmm. even blood clots in their leg, it can actually monitor the level of fluid around your heart and a blood clot. So it it instantly share this into your electronic record, health records, and your provider would actually be able to see you know, within 48 hours or 72 hours, there may be a blood clot, you know, building in your, your leg. So wow. this is, um, just got an FDA approved. So, yep. Well, congratulations. Now we talk often a lot about banking black and buying black here on Revolt Black News. And you actually have your own virtual bank called uh, Fixed Cash. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Yes. So Fee Cash is a virtual transfer for app for financial. It's fintech. 
So um, right now we have been approved by Visa and MasterCard. We're still waiting on American Express and we're gonna take this to market. So when you think about a cash out, this would be the black version of cash out. <laughs> so where can people go to learn more about you and about all of your business? Absolutely. So my personal website is freddyfiggers.com. That's F-R-E-D-D-I-E-F-I-G-G-E-R-S.com. And our company website is figures.com, F-I-G-G-E-R-S.com. Freddie, thank you so much for joining us and being such an inspiration in the technological and innovative world. We truly appreciate your time. All right, Ebony, back over to you. Rochelle and Freddie, thank you both so much for that important and illuminating conversation. Now, as much as our people are making incredible strides like Freddie, Y'all, we still can't ignore and forget the problems that many black cities are still facing, like DC, Atlanta, and Chicago, because we're losing too many young black folks to gun violence. So y'all already know the vibes. We got a couple of resources that we wanna put on your radar. Check them out. First, there's the Tehran Center in DC, whose mission is to expose gun violence survivors to therapeutic models that may be absent from their current grieving and coping processes. They provide a safe, supportive space for affected members of the community to express themselves. Another great resource is the CHAMPS Mentoring Program, because we know mentoring is so vital to a young person's development. CHAMPS Mentoring is a community of men who support each other and they value each other, and they, it really acknowledges y'all the importance that men play in empowering our youth. Lastly, we've got My Brother's Keeper. We know that's an initiative that was launched under the birthday boy, President Obama, to address persistent opportunity gaps faced by black men and boys of color. It also ensures that all of our young people can reach their full potential by ways of, again, mentoring and supporting each other, having networks and developing the skills they need to find a good job and or go to college and work their way into the middle and upper middle class. Here's the thing, y'all, y'all have got to check these resources out for yourselves and pass them along to others that may need them. Because listen, while today's episode of this show might be over, the work for us and our people is far from done. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time. needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off ba da ba ba ba